time, weather, and always the past. Road Trip Radio. Welcome to Road Trip Radio, broadcasting 24 hours a day. And if 24 hours seems like a big number, it really does need to be because Canada is a really big country. Road Trip Radio is a brand new family-friendly show celebrating all things Canada. Each episode explores one of our country's provinces or territories. The show is full of heaps of intriguingly fun documentaries, cool interviews, spooky stories, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm Pat Kelly. And I'm Caitlin Howden. And on today's show, we are having a look at Canada's westernmost province, British Columbia. For the next half an hour or so, we will explore everything to do with the country's west coast, as well as the interior of the west coast and the southern part of the west coast. I mean, you get it. British Columbia is a big province. But first, let's get to know a little bit about British Columbia. BC is Canada's third largest province in area and third largest in population. That's a lot of third place finishes. The province has a huge ecosystem. More than half of the entire country's wildlife and fish species live in BC. BC is home to the country's wettest city. No, not Vancouver. It's actually Prince Rupert, which gets over 2,500 millimeters of rain every year. That's more than twice what Vancouver gets. The coast of BC is made up of 4,000 islands. So if you've heard of Thousand Island Dressing, BC has four times that. Mm. Contrary to popular belief, British Columbia is not named after the country of Colombia. And that's a little bit about the place we call British Columbia. Also on Road Trip Radio, we've got a new episode of Quizmaster, an interview with a famous BC skateboarder, We Hunt for Sasquatch. And as always, our roving reporter Peter Oldring is out and about in the province trying to capture the essence of British Columbia. And he's joining us right now by phone. Hello, Peter? Yes, hello, Caitlin, and pleasure to join you from here in beautiful British Columbia. It's one of my favorite provinces, Peter. Uh, What have you got planned for today? Uh, Right now, I'm actually in Vancouver, British Columbia, standing at the top of Grouse Mountain. Uh, And I am about to uh, put to the test uh, the claim that most Vancouverites love to claim, which is that on the same day, they can ski, golf, and windsurf. And so to uh, put that to the test, I'm I got my skis on here. I'm in my snowsuit. I'm standing at the top of Grouse Mountain, and I am about to push off and ski down to Vancouver. Peter, this isn't a great time to mention it, but I think that's only applying to early spring, and right now it's midsummer. There's not any snow on that mountain, is there? I'll say there's no snow. There's a lot of rock. Uh, but there's really only one way to know if they're claiming that to be a seasonal thing, and that's simply to, to try it. Ooh, ooh. Oh, man. Oh, these rental skis. I think I just bought them. Oh, boy. Oh. Okay, well, why, why don't we check in with you when you're at the bottom of the hill? I may have to walk down from here, and I'll tell you right now, now this snowsuit is soaking. I have sweated my way through it here a little bit. Well, I guess that windsurfing is going to be really refreshing then, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it will, but of course, I've got 18 holes of golf to play before that. So, <laughs> but so far, we can check skiing off the list. 
Well, kind of. All right, we'll check in with you in a bit. Sounds good. You're listening to Road Trip Radio. Coming up later on Road Trip Radio. Do you love olden days Canada? That simpler time before smartphones, cars, or even electricity. Then get ready to revisit that wonderful era. Come here, boy. What's your name, boy? Well, officer, people call me William. (laughs) I think I like you. Introducing the old-timey show, the heartwarming story about a veteran police officer who solves mysteries and a mischievous red-headed orphan. Set at the turn of the century, somewhere in old-time Canada. Officer Murphy, this boy painted a rude word on my wagon. Is that so? Yes, officer, but only because he made fun of my hair. Now settle down here. What word did he paint? Well, I feel ashamed to even say it out loud. Nincompoop. William! Join our unlikely pair as they get in and out of trouble. William, I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you take Mrs. McAllister's Easter bonnet and put it on that Hempstead's cow? Oh, gee, Willikers, officer. Yes, but I meant no harm. We were just pretending to be husband and wife. William, you're too fanciful for old-timey Canada. The Old Timey Show is an uplifting walk down memory lane and a chance to hear archaic words like haberdasher, piffle, and beseech. But most of all, it's about the magical bond between a hapless police officer and his playful ward. Officer Murphy, what's that contraption? (laughs) That? That's a steam engine. Wow. Do you ever think it could take me to see my ma and pa? Perhaps, William. Perhaps. But likely not. Yes, it's the old-timey show. Coming up on Road Trip Radio. And now, In Conversation. Well, if you enjoy riding a skateboard or playing skateboard video games, chances are you've come across some of Jay Bomber's work. He has been designing skate parks for years. He's produced North America's biggest live skateboarding contest, and he created the skate video game franchise. Most recently, Jay has been over in Tokyo helping to get skateboarding ready for the 2020 Olympics in Japan. Whenever something big happens in skateboarding, Jay is there, and he makes his home in Vancouver, British Columbia, and we're talking to him today about everything skateboarding. Jay, welcome to Road Trip Radio. Thank you. Well, that's quite an introduction. Everything skateboarding. Every single thing skateboarding. Well, you have uh, uh, an acclaimed resume working in the field of skateboarding, which sounds weird to say that you've turned sort of skateboarding into your job. But let's talk about when you first started skateboarding. When did it start for you? I just got to give all my credit to dad. But when I was five years old, he brought home skateboards for himself, my brother and I, and he just ignited it all for me. So I got to thank dad for getting me started. Okay, so I don't want to embarrass you, but how old are you now? I will be 46 years old in a couple weeks. So you have been skateboarding for 40 years. It's true. And you'd think that'd be like an advantage. I'd be really good. But when I started, there were the plastic banana boards and the street ollie really hadn't wasn't invented for the next 10 years. So what the kids do now, and I call them kids, it's like magical to me because I started just rolling around. How did it turn from you just riding in skate parks to designing them? 
I guess I'm a thoughtful guy, and Dad always sort of talked about how cities work, and and uh, I'd had that moment in Calgary when I was a kid when I was just like, come on, city, build a skate park. And as I got a little older, I go, okay, wait a minute, someone's got to help these cities through it. And so, you know, when I was younger and Dad was helping me out and pointing me the way, he was kind of, grant your own wish, help make these things happen. And so I started talking to cities and started helping them move forward. And at the time when they needed a company to help them build skate parks, I helped start a company called New Line Skate Parks so that there was somebody to help them. And it just kind of evolved out of my love for skateboarding and wanting to see it expand. Well, you organized uh, an event in Vancouver, British Columbia called Slam City Jam, which was one of the biggest skateboarding events in the world. So big, in fact, that it actually became a level in the Tony Hawk video game. And you were a (laughs) character in that level. What did that feel like? Well, I knew it was coming. I knew they took my picture. I knew I'd sent them the designs for Vancouver and the skate park. So it was kind of like tingly knowing it might be happening and then the game came out and i had to play through it and unlock all the levels and finally get to uh, vancouver and one of the main characters pops up and says i gotta get my videotape to jay and it was just like goosebumps it was like i'd made it somehow just being a digital character in a video game so you were a character in a video game but then you decided that you wanted to make a video game called skate uh that was really uh, equally as popular as the tony hawk video game in your mind, what's the, the big difference about uh, skateboarding in real life and the skateboarding in the video game that you've created? Well, as a real-life skateboarder, there's always a trick I can't do, and there's always fear of failure. Concrete's hard, so I just enjoy riding my skateboard and slowly progress and learn new tricks, and I still get to learn new tricks at 45 years old. But I learn small ones. In a video game, I just get to try things and wipe out, and I get all the experience of what I dream skateboarding could be, without taking the risk or the decades of practice to get good enough. At some point I'll grow up and maybe be too scared of the concrete or too scared of learning new tricks, and I'll still get a video game to play to get that experience. So if you haven't already done enough with skateboarding, you are helping to get skateboarding in the Olympics in 2020 in Tokyo. Tell us a little bit about how that is coming about. Well, I think what's happened is the Olympics is getting old. The average viewing age is somewhere over 50 years old in the United States. And the Olympics and the broadcasters, they want a younger audience. So it's actually the Olympics that are coming to skateboarding and saying, we want you in our event. And as skateboarding, we're like, eh, sure, as long as it's on our terms. So we haven't really been pushing for it hard as a community of skateboarders. But now that it's happening, we're going to take advantage of it. And we're stoked to see it. You know, it'll be day one of the Summer Olympics. It'll be on the big stage, billions of people watching it on TV. It will be awesome. I hope it inspires a whole new group of people to start skateboarding. Well, thanks very much, uh, Jay. And uh, hopefully you've inspired uh, people listening to this to maybe go out there and get a piece of wood with four wheels on it and have some fun this summer. Well, just have fun with it. Make some turns. Make some crazy turns. and Make yourself smile. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Pat. Hi, I'm Tim Parker, and this is Quizmaster. Quizmaster, celebrating Canada's sesquicentennial birthday, one quiz at a time. This week, highlighting British Columbia. I'm standing on the beach just outside the seaside village of Lanceville on Vancouver Island, and you can probably hear 
that the ocean is filled right now with lots of hungry seals and sea lions, and that's because the annual herring run's happening right now. There must be, I don't know, it looks like there must be at least 50 of them. And as I look out at the Rockies, it is really tough to argue that BC isn't indeed supernatural. Which brings me to our first quiz. Let's meet the creatures. Deep in a BC lake is said to dwell a water monster. The Salish First Nations called it Netaka, but it's been known since 1924 by a different name after it was mentioned in a dance hall song. What is that name and what lake does this creature possibly dwell in? So the next time you're water skiing on Okanagan Lake, make sure you keep your eyes open just in case Ogopogo crosses your wake. Rev up those pencils. It's time for the speed round. Nanaimo is the what capital of the world? Is it the hacky sack capital of the world? The mall capital of the world? The dessert capital of the world? Or the wizard capital of the world? Nope. It's the bathtub racing capital of the world. True or false? Stretched end to end, British Columbia has over 27,000 kilometers of tie-dyed hemp driftwood wind chimes. False, but it does have over 27,000 kilometers of coastline. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen a sea lion up close, but they can get up to about nine feet long and weigh up to roughly about 700 kilograms, which is it's like three quarters of a ton. And oh, it looks like some of them may be coming up onto the beach. Oh, wow. These are definitely those big ones. And uh, they are coming this way and they are charging this way. I'm Tim Parker. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Quizmaster. I hope to, hope to see you next week. <laughs> Listening to Road Trip Radio. What you are about to hear is true. These events occurred a few years ago in the Canadian wilderness. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. My name is Grant Lawrence, and this is the story of the Spaghetti Bandit. Chapter 1, The Intruder It was early spring, which meant the first few cottagers were showing up after a long, cold winter. The hardiest were eager to open up their cabins for the season. Rory and his wife Julie and their three boys powered their boat across the churning water. When they arrived at the rocks right below their cabin, Rory secured their boat while the boys clambered up. They found their hidden key and they let themselves in. Rory and Julie followed a few minutes later. They were weighed down like pack mules with their groceries and their knapsacks, and the cabin was cold, so Rory's first order of business as the dad was to build a fire in their pot-bellied stove. 
He opened up the lid to stuff it full of wood, and he pulled back, startled. The fireplace was already stuffed full. Inside, Rory found an empty wine bottle, a dirty plate, a bowl, a fork, and a knife, all stacked neatly on top of the ashes. Rory's first thought was, what have my kids done now? But then, in the boys' bedroom, which is in the middle rear of their tiny cabin, the boys discovered something else, the stub of a candle melted onto the railing of their lower bunk. On the ceiling was a black spot of smoke from a candle's flame. Someone's been in the cabin, said Rory with hesitation. Then Julie called out from the kitchen, Who put the dirty pot into the cupboard without washing it? Investigating further, outside they found a collection of empty spaghetti and soup cans neatly stacked behind a rock. Rory realized that not only had someone broken into their cabin at some point during the winter, but that person had lived in their cabin for a prolonged period of time. The intruder purposefully chose that middle rear bedroom to allow as little light as possible to escape at night. Presumably, he stayed until the food ran out. He broke into the cabin by lifting the sliding glass door up and off its rollers. It left the whole family in a creepy state of unease. Rory and his family didn't know it yet, but their cabin was just one stop of many for someone who would become known as the Spaghetti Bandit. Their cabin was the middle point in a saga that would involve an RCMP manhunt that would stretch out over a year. But to fully understand this strange story, you have to go back to a secret First Nations burial cave in the next chapter of The Spaghetti Bandit. For the next installment of The Spaghetti Bandit, head to the New Brunswick episode. Road Trip Radio. We are back with more Road Trip Radio. I'm Caitlin Howden here with Pat Kelly, and today we're exploring all things British Columbia. It's time now for the traffic report for British Columbia. It's a rough one out there on the 1, the 99, the 97, the 91, and the 1A. Someone has left a hat in the right lane of Highway 17 that's causing slowdowns getting out of New Westminster. Two lanes are closed on Jingle Pot Road in Nanaimo for a breakdancing competition. Highway 2, 4, 6, and 8 are closed today for highway appreciation. Traffic is at a standstill on the 33 outside of Kelowna as drivers are slowing down to pull tabs off an ad on a post offering guitar lessons. And finally, Highway 99 between Whistler and Pemberton is completely flooded with cola. And that's the traffic report for British Columbia. Thank you, Pat. Now let's check back in with Peter Oldring, who is currently in Vancouver, attempting to ski, golf, and windsurf all in one day. He's already tried skiing, and by all accounts, he should be on the golf course right now. Um, Peter, are you there? Hey, Caitlin, how are you? Hi. Why are you whispering? I am here, uh, back on the uh, ground in Vancouver, uh, just uh, enjoying a quick round of golf. Are you already done your golf game? Yes, yes, I am. That was really fast. Let me explain. Uh, I didn't bring a change of clothes, uh, mm. so I was still in my snowsuit. Okay. Uh, as I was running down the first fairway to get through the course quickly, just to 
sound of those snow pants had a few golfers pretty worked up. So the course actually unleashed uh, a couple of dogs to chase me off the course. Golf dogs? Yeah, golf dogs were released, and I am hiding out from what would seem to be two golf course Rottweilers uh, that are pretty hot on my trail, really. Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just uh, here on the 16th fairway in a pretty deep rough uh, behind a mounded-up bunker and an old oak tree. And I can tell you this much. From where I am, this would be a brutal lie. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no! Peter? Oh, the dog found me. Oh, okay. Okay. I will uh, catch up when I'm windsurfing, yeah? Yeah, we'll, we'll call you back in a ooh, bit. Ooh, good dog. Good boy. Good boy. Good girl. Our next story comes to us from Road Trip Radio contributor Rachel Sanders, who tries to answer one of the province's longest-standing mysteries about a big, hairy creature that's half-human and half-beast. He has huge feet and has never been captured. This creature is known as Sasquatch, and we sent Rachel to find it. And conveniently, this story begins with a... Road Trip! Did you know that there's a park in British Columbia named after a huge, hairy beast? Sasquatch Provincial Park is about an hour and a half by car from Vancouver. It's named after a legendary creature that's said to roam the woods. My family and I wanted to find out more about this mysterious monster. This is my husband, Nathan. Hi. My son, Augustine. Hello. And my daughter, Lily. Hey. We're going on a road trip to do some Sasquatch hunting. Road trip. trip. I'm going to see some Sasquatches. The legend of the Sasquatch goes back centuries. It's part of the culture of some of BC's First Nations communities. Sasquatch Crossing Eco Lodge is a bed and breakfast owned by the Staelis First Nation. The Sasquatch is so significant to the Staelis that they have one for their band's logo. Oh, it smells so good here. Hi there. Hi. How are you? My, my name is Denny Stobart. I'm manager here at Sasquatch Crossing Eco Lodge Bed and Breakfast. What's the origin of the word Sasquatch? Sasquatch, uh, as Staelis, we like to claim it as a Halkamelum word, Saskets and then it was anglicized to Sasquatch. We live in Sasquatch territory, so we have to uh, be mindful that we are visitors on his property. So when you are walking through the woods and sometimes you think maybe you see something and then you look and there's nothing there, Saskets is usually following you, but Saskets is a shapeshifter. So he can transform into anything except water. Oh, and wow. this location is called Sasquatch Crossing because this mountain here is Sasquatch Mountain, with the Harrison being the shallowest at right at this point. This is where Saskatch crosses the Harrison River to get a new mate. So it's called Sasquatch Crossing. Have you ever seen one? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard stories from people who have? Oh, yes. 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 Um, my late uh, great-uncle gig he was one of the last in the community to have seen Saskets and it was just at the end of the driveway this driveway this driveway yes 
Well, okay, you so yeah, much. we'll let you get yeah. back to work. Thanks so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Say goodbye, you guys. Thank you. There are lots of people who think that they have seen a Sasquatch, and some of them are pretty serious about finding out whether they really exist. We're about to meet a pair of Sasquatch researchers. They run a tour company called Sasquatch Country Adventures. Sasquatch Provincial Park, 400 meters. Their truck says Sasquatch Research on the side of it. <laughs> They're like <laughs> Ghostbusters, except Sasquatches. <laughs> Thomas. Hello. Rachel. My name is Thomas Steenberg. I have been researching the Sasquatch mystery since 1978. Uh, I'm Brad Trent, and I've been uh, interested since I was a child, which is over 60 years ago. Thomas and Brad are going to take us on a Sasquatch adventure. Lily, coming in? Yeah, I'm good. We drive on a bumpy logging road up the mountain. It's green and damp, and the clouds hang low over the thick forest. This is really bumpy. I know. It's a lot greener than I'm used to. We hop out halfway up the mountain at a spot where we can see Harrison Lake stretching out below us and misty mountains in the distance. And we hit Thomas and Brad with a lot of questions. What's the difference between a Sasquatch and a Bigfoot? It's two different names. Sasquatch is the Canadian name, and Bigfoot is the American name for the same thing. I like our name better. So it's older. It's been around longer. So they're the same creature? Yes. Just different names? Just different names. Um, what do you think Sasquatch eat? I think they're omnivores. You know what that is? Yeah, they both eat plants and animals. Mostly plants, but they do eat meat on occasion. Basically the same sort of diet a black bear has. And then you wonder, like, why has a, why has a body or a skeleton never been found? Well, there are cases of mysterious bones being found. They've just never uh, always seemed to get misplaced. I've been in the bush for over 50 years. I've never found a bear skeleton. Why would I find a Sasquatch skeleton? Nature's yeah. disposal system works incredibly fast. You rarely find a whole skeleton of anything. You find a few bones here, maybe 100 yards, another few bones. I have the feeling unless someone came across something that really stood out like a skull or a jawbone, they wouldn't even know what they were looking at. They tell us a bunch of stories about people who think they've seen Sasquatches in the area. The most recent one was just a few months ago. And then Brad shows us some giant plaster feet. They're casts of footprints that have been found in the woods around the west coast of North America. How big is it, Augustine? Big? big? Yeah. Wow. I'm about like twice the size of my foot. Well, here, put your foot next to it and you can see. What size would that be if it was put into a shoe size? <laughs> into a shoe size? About 22 big. or something like that. And then we head back down the mountain. What do you think, after having heard all of that, been up through the thick forest? I feel like I believe, I believe it, because there isn't really any other explanation to what all of those stories are. You can't have so many stories and have them all be false. Some of them at least have to be true. Um, I'm not totally convinced, but I would have to see it with my own eyes to believe it. When you're in a city, you, you can't even imagine that a thing like this is possible. But as you get more and more into the countryside, you realize how much there is of Canada where there's just nobody and nobody lives. And uh, you don't know what's going on out here. Our Sasquatch hunting expedition is over, but the mystery remains. Are Sasquatches real creatures or are they a legend? 
For Thomas, they're interesting either way. But to me, the Sasquatch, it's either a great piece of Western Canadian mythology and folklore, or it's out there and it's in flesh and blood. One way or the other, it's, a, it's fascinating to look into. It's entirely possible that it's nothing but mythology. I don't believe it, but I accept that possibility. So you believe it's a living, breathing creature? I believe it's a creature of flesh and blood, and there's maybe not a large number of them, one for every 100 bears in a given area, but they're alive, well, and could be watching us right now. For all the behind-the-scenes photos of Sasquatch hunters, head to our Instagram account, at Radio. It's now time for the British Columbia Community Calendar, brought to you by these crazy kids. A warning, only one of these events is real. It's up to you to decide which one. In celebration of Canada 150, First Nations master carver Tom Hunt Jr. will be carving a new totem in downtown Duncan all summer long. The public is invited to come watch, and some people may even get a chance to help carve a section of the pole. Next month, be sure to check out British Columbia Whisper Days. This is a 10-day fair that celebrates everything related to whisper culture. Next Saturday is the BC Bottomless Pop Festival. Everyone in the province gets free refills with the purchase of a large pop. And that's the Road Trip Radio Community Calendar. Thanks, kids. Road Trip Radio is made possible with the support of our sponsors. The Boring Book Warehouse, DVP's DVDs, and Peter Papadopoulos's Pancakes and Pop Shop. From coast to coast to coast, nothing brings Canadians together like the smells and tastes of Peter Papadopoulos's Pancakes and Pop Shop. Ah, Pancakes and Pop. Founded in 1968 by legendary hockey player Peter Papadopoulos, Pete's has been serving Canada's favorite delicacies, Pancakes and Pop, ever since. With over 5,000 locations nationwide, Peter Papadopoulos's Pancakes and Pop Shop is more than just a place to eat pancakes and pop. It's a shining symbol of Canadian culture and cuisine. And nothing is more Canadian than ordering our signature menu item, a triple stack of buttermilk pancakes thrice dipped in Canadian pop. Or as regulars call it, the triple dripple. I'll have a triple dripple, eh? So whether you're a loyal customer or stopping in for the first time, Peter Papadopoulos' Pancakes and Pop Shop always has something popping for you. There's always something popping at Pete's. And it's back. Peter Papadopoulos' Pancakes and Pop Shop's annual Fold the Flapjack a Lot to Claim the Jackpot promotion. This year, one lucky winner could win a 1998 Honda Civic. So come on down to Peter Papadopoulos' Pancake and Pop Shop, where there's something always popping for you. There's always something at <laughs> it's now time for a Road Trip Radio Language Minute, where we explore the words and phrases you might come across while talking your way through the country. My name is Christine Seymour, and I'm a Halkamilm teacher with the Abbotsford School District. The Halkamelm language consists of many dialects that are spoken in the southwest region of British Columbia in communities on Vancouver Island, the Gulf Islands, and along the Fraser River. If you've been on a road trip in British Columbia, 
then you already might know some Halkamil words, like Kokahala, as in the highway that connects Kamloops and Kelowna to Vancouver. In Halkamilum, Kokahala is pronounced Kwikwiala. And while you're driving along the Kokahala, you might pass through Chilliwack, another Halkamilum word that's traditionally said as Chilquiuk. And if you stop in Chilliwack, you might see the mall on Lakakak Road, yet another Halkamilum word. The Stalos say Lakakak. Lakakak means oh no in Halkamilum. So the next time you're driving on a Kokahala and in Chilliwack, remember that these are Halkamilum words. And the next time you make a mistake, you can say Lakakak. That was another Road Trip Radio Language Minute. Well, we're almost on the home stretch here for the British Columbia episode, but before we go, I just wanted to make a little note we haven't mentioned yet that uh, Caitlin and I actually live in British Columbia. So I wanted to extend an invitation to all Canadians who may not be from BC. If you're traveling to the province, Caitlin's doors are always oh, open oh. Uh, any time of day, 24 hours a day. If oh, you Pat. need a place to crash while in Vancouver, oh, no, get no, in no. touch with Caitlin Howden. Her number is Pat. Oh, Pat, Pat, 604. Pat. Let's check back in with Peter Oldring one more time. Today, Peter was attempting to golf, ski, and windsurf all in one day. He should right now be windsurfing. Peter, how's it going? No. What What's wrong, Peter? Uh, I'm not windsurfing. Uh, sadly, uh, uh, the rental uh, company that was trying to rent me the uh, windsurf board, they were sticklers for rules, and I was unable uh, to actually go windsurfing. You didn't have a credit card, or you... Uh, I, it was because of my snowsuits. Uh, they were insisting I wear a life jacket. Well, I couldn't fit the life jacket on over top of this snowsuit. There's just too much fabric, too much insulation, generally speaking, too much padding. But it just physically couldn't happen, and there was absolutely no way for me to take off that snowsuit. Why not? It's because I'm Scottish. I don't understand. You don't wear anything underneath your kilt. You're wearing a rented snowsuit. That's right, but you wouldn't ask a Scotsman who's rented a kilt to wear anything under that. You just don't do it. Anyways, it didn't happen, so here I am trying to figure out what to do with the rest of the day in Vancouver. I was thinking about going for a run along the seawall. Oh, gosh, those dogs are back. Oh, gosh, sorry. Okay, Peter, we're going to let you go. Uh, thanks for being on this episode of Road Trip Radio. We'll talk to you real soon. Let's see if you dogs can swim. How dare you? Well, that does it for another episode of Road Trip Radio. We want to thank you for listening. And remember, always tune back into Road Trip Radio for more tales about our wonderful country known as Canada. We leave you now with the sound of BC's majestic spirit bear, casually scrolling through photos on a cell phone. That actually sounds like my dad. Thanks for listening, Canada. We'll see you next time. Bye. Road Trip Radio has been made possible by the Government of Canada and is produced by Kelly and Kelly Creative and Sumo Audio. 
Research by Matt Masters, Janice Tuford, and Leslie Johnson. With contributions by Dave Shumka, Brian Short, Paul Tedeschini, Grant Lawrence, Jen Bohm, Naomi Sneekis, Matt Barham, Mike Balazzo, Sandy Jobin Bevins, and the Road Trip Radio Kids from Arts Umbrella in Vancouver. Keep listening to Road Trip Radio, broadcasting 24 hours a day. 